Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Oh boy, it is showtime like we have never seen before on the Bleacher Blums podcast because this episode of Bleacher Blums is being recorded in Las Vegas as we speak and we have got my co-host David Tuttle here. We have got our producer Mark Ramos here. Tuttle, we made it happen, dude. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How you doing, Blummer? It's good to be here. Uh, did you know that the Baseball Hall of Fame ballot is out? I did. Who are you going to vote for? Oh, yeah, I have a lot Do of Do you want to know all... Well, you know what's great? And I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to have Ryan Spader on this show. Ooh. Is um, he ready to come on again? Because I know he well, got Well, he'll, he'll be ready to come on because I want to talk about the Hall of Fame with him. Okay. You know, he does a very good job. Uh, there's also another guy, Jay Jaffe, does a very good job. I believe he's with Fangraphs and has uh, an analytic that he uses to try and evaluate these guys because he'll, he'll take a seven-year window and try and, you know, build a Hall of Fame case around those guys in a nice. seven-year window. And it's kind of fun because you do take some of the analytics and then you take the original stats, you know, batting average, home run, RBI, or whatever it is, ERAs and wins and losses and things like that. But Ryan Spader's awesome because if you follow him at Ace of Spader, he actually has sent out, I want to say, close to 200 ballots to ex-players and current players. Did and he send it on Twitter? He, he's, he it, he, there's a link to, to his website that has guys who have put in their ballot. He sent one to me. I have not sent it in yet. Ooh. And that's why I kind of wanted to sit here and talk about it a little bit because we do have some time to talk about it. And I'm going to run through some of the names because you're, you know the regulars. There's guys that have been on here for nine years. It's their final year. Those are probably some of the big ones. But there, there's some first-year ballot guys that are our contemporaries that we played against. So it's kind of fun to, to look through and see some of that stuff. But that's where I'm going to be at in the next maybe week or so is trying to evaluate some of these guys and make up my own ballot, which I think should hold some value somewhere in the universe of baseball as far as Hall of Famers. Absolutely. Let me jump in here before you read the names, and I'm dying to hear them. I did read them, and I saw some of the Veterans Committee stuff, too, on there. Yeah. What I was going to say about that is that it, it really is the foundation of our podcast, which is funny. We have a couple things about being dads of multiples and things like that, but you know, baseball is obviously the common, common thread, is analytics versus eyeball test. And it's really yeah. funny because I want to hear the analytics because, um, like you said, Ryan Spader brings a ton to the table. We've talked about, um, like, fan graphs and the spot track that goes through the contracts. There's a, tons of good resources. But, I, you know, I always defer to being the eyeball test. And I think the Hall of Fame is typically really easy to decide because it's like, are they a Hall of Famer or not? You know, and I'm still, like, I don't, I, I, you know, watching Eli and Peyton on the Monday Night Football broadcast now, I'm like, I'm like, I'm still torn about Eli Manning. Like, I just can't. I know. I just Why can't, is that? I just can't get behind this Hall of Fame because you start looking at the analytics, two world championships and all this, and the defense won it. But anyway, so let's hear the names of this. I just want to say that's really a foundational point of this podcast is we often get, um, hopefully provide some clarification, but get caught up in the analytics versus the eyeball test. And so I think I'll have pretty good uh, responses, but I do like when you come back with, well, his war was this, or his, you know, OPS plus was <laughs> that's this. that's one of the things and I then do like, look okay, at. okay, there you go. So. It is. I, that's exactly who I am. And there's a there's actually a great book out there to kind of go with what Tuttle is talking about that I've been trying to read and get through. And it's one of those books where you read a paragraph and you go, okay, I, I kind of get it. And then you read the paragraph again, and you're like, oh, okay, now I get it. Because you have to kind of absorb every word. And it's uh, it's thinking fast and slow. And I think it's uh, Daniel, oh, I'm going to butcher this name, Kahneman, K-A-H-N-E-M-A-N, thinking fast and slow. 
And the idea is, is if I just blurt out six foot four, you know, runs a four flat, you know, what positions do you play kind of thing? And you're immediately going, okay, he's either a wide out or, you know, an unbelievable yeah, running back. back or yeah, some freak. And then all of a sudden you get some of the peripherals, you break it down and you start to think a little bit slower. And, and then you're like, oh, maybe it could have been an inside linebacker. It could have been a guy, you know, so things like that. I didn't give you the height and weight, or I didn't give you the weight, you know, and then all of a sudden I say the guy's like 275. And you're like, damn, I'm putting this guy on the, you know, outside and he's going to go from sideline to sideline, whatever. But that's kind of the idea between, you know, the Hall of Fame. Because we're going to watch guys, and depending on how long you watched them, you're going to go, oh, hell yeah. Every time he played, Albert Pujols against the Astros is a Hall of Famer, period. Because we're so sick and tired of watching that dude drive in runs and hit home runs. But fortunately, over his career, he's put up big numbers too. But that's kind of the idea. You know, if you see Richie Sexton, you're going, well, that guy's in the Hall of Fame because he absolutely obliterated the Astros when he was in Milwaukee or, you know. But uh, there are guys, the tenure ballot guys. So there's three guys on the tenure ballot. Richie Sexton is not a Hall of Famer in my book. No, no, no I'm be- kidding. Because I you know. didn't see him hitting it off the scoreboard or the the you know the flagpole at Towels Hill in center field. No, I pitched against him and struck him out. He's not a there Hall of go. Famer. There's so the there you go. Test. No, Tuttle's going to the Hall. Test. Got it. No. <laughs> Tuttle's in my Hall of Famer. But you're right. It's it is. It's it's a. But that's it's, where it is. You've right. Got to you take a small sample versus like what's exactly. what's he doing? Yeah. So the tenure guys, the most controversial guys, the. There will be a lot of people happy to stop talking about these three guys because they are contra. I mean, Roger Clemens, we know the congressional hearing. Barry Bonds, no proof. It cre- what cream and clear guy? <laughs> no pr- there's no proof. No proof. You, you'd have got nothing. His trainer went to prison. What are you talking about? Yeah, it, it was. He. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just yeah. taking some stuff. Okay, and then you've got Kurt Schilling, and obviously, I mean, just a great follow on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> So a bit of a kook in his own right, but those guys are on the final ballot. And, you know, the only one that I think is really within striking range of getting into the Hall of Fame is Kurt Schilling. He finished last season at 71%. You've got Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens at 61%, maybe 62% if we round up. You know, do they get that extra 10% that or 13%? Because I think it's got to be 75% to get into the Hall of Fame. That's right. And are there enough writers out there who have punished the maybe punish them long enough over the 10 years to put them in finally. Would you, who would, would you vote for any of those guys? This is a tough one. And I'm glad you, you brought it up. So Schilling doesn't bother me. I don't think he was performance enhancing. I think the, his, his political view, I mean, it's like the Pete Rose thing. But that's I mean, the like, thing. Yeah. Do you take the off the field? And so I do sometimes again, it's maybe yeah. I just pick and choose. We're, I think we're people. I'm a little more torn whether he was a Hall of Famer or not. I mean, they always say, well, based I, on his I'm with thing. you in this boat. I'm not a Kurt Schilling Hall of Famer. Yeah, boat. so I'm more torn about his statistics than I am about his political viewpoints or a statement. This is a, a sticking point with my mom, which is so funny, and that's why I'm bringing it up. So Barry Bonds, in my point, in opinion, was a three-time MVP, league MVP, when he was with the Pirates, and he weighed 175 pounds or whatever. Yeah. He was a great baseball player. He's always been a freak athlete. That's a very right. good player. He, was struck, he won MVPs before all this mess. And when he was at Arizona State, he was the greatest college baseball player. I mean, like, yeah. you could go to the laundry list. So did he do all the stuff they said he did? Yes. But my mom's like, yeah, he's a San Francisco giant. He cheated, and he shouldn't be in. And, you know, I played during the wow. steroid era. Yeah. And my mom thinks, like, he kept me from like getting to the big leagues because he's got, I'm like, well, I, I don't, you know what I mean? That's an, that, that is an argument that, I mean, with the Astros going through everything they've gone through, that's an interesting argument that I'm with you. I don't think it, I yeah. played in that same era. I don't think it affected right. me 
But it did affect 40-man roster spots and yes. stuff like that. So as a pitcher, yes. you come into spring training, oh, this guy's throwing 95 now? All right, we got to keep him on the roster. Otherwise, somebody's going to steal yeah. him. So my my point isn't that. I'm not trying to bring up my mom's like emotional point. But well, she my, does listen. Yeah, she does. Hey, hey, mom, good to see you. Come to Vegas with us next time. No. <laughs> Please. Um, but Barry Bonds, in my opinion, was a Hall of Famer before any of this stuff. He's and the greatest hitter I've ever seen. Right. And well, and you played against him. So and and you know, I have a friend Calvin Murray that played with him. And, mm -hmm. You know, and you know Jeff Kent, you know very well. Like all these guys that you know, and you get this information, it comes in piecemeal. But my point is that Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer prior to all this stuff. Did he do it? Yes, but everybody was doing it, right? This is where I actually think that oh, everybody man. was doing it argument. And there's actual proof. Pulls water because yeah. you have Palmero. And, and I think personally, and this is anecdotal, when he saw Maguire and Sosa having that like bro hug and the like, oh, and all the focus was home on them. Runs and they, he's that like, was the last time there was a work stoppage, by the way, it was 94-95. Ah, right. And those guys actually brought emphasis back on the game. That's right. Yeah. And so there was that whole like groundswell of, you know, of kind of enthusiasm. So all that to say, out of those three guys, like I said, shilling I'm on the fence about, not because of his political views, but because of his statistics, I actually think I would put Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame and just be done with it. Now, Clemens is a little bit different. You actually know Roger probably a yeah. little bit, but I, I just, I mean, he was a Hall of Famer prior to whenever he did it too. So, I mean, maybe both those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. I, I just, I don't know if I'm the authority to answer that question. Okay. I personally think Bonds. How many Cy Youngs do you think Kurt Schilling won? Mm, zero. Yep, you are correct. Ooh, that was a guess. That's a pretty good Ramos. guess. You listen over there. I guessed right that. That's a good sign in Vegas. You know how many Cy Youngs Roger Clemens has? Uh, four or five. Seven. Oh, he got seven. Oh, seven. seven of them. That's right. So, so there you go. And he's another guy. He was brilliant before he was doing anything totally crazy agree. too. So there you go. Using my argument with Bonds and Clemens and Bonds should be in there. Yeah, I, I and have I no think problem they with that. Use... But they, and they have the, the they yes, their numbers are grandiose and out of control, crazy right. good, but they're legit. They're legit. I mean, yeah. good lord. They were the, they were probably the best hitter and pitcher of their time before they did the juice and then after they did the juice. Um, just going down the list again, Scott Rowland's on there. I don't think Omar Vizcal. I don't, I don't know what, I, I don't know where the appeal is. I'm just, I just, I don't know. He just doesn't do it for me. I know people are going to hate me for that. But I'm on the Billy Wagner, Todd Helton, Gary Sheffield. I'm torn on Andrew Jones. Andrew Jones was phenomenal. Dude, that guy playing center field, it was Meteor, more. though. Huh? Right? He burned out fast. That's the problem. He did, but he, he put up mad numbers. You know, that's the crazy thing about it is that uh, as I'm looking right now, he had 434 home runs. So now I see numbers like that, and I'm going, oh, okay, that almost 1,300 RBIs. And he was stealing bags left and right. And I know for a fact, coming up in the late 90s and playing against the freaking Braves, I'd have to go Glavin, Smoltz, you know, Maddox. And then all of a sudden, if I happen to get a mistake and I crush it, I go, oh, I got a hold of that one, and I'd be just tasting myself down the first baseline. Guess who'd catch it? Andrew Jones. Freaking Andrew Jones, man. That he was unbelievable. I absolutely love just watching Andrew Jones. Then why are you on the fence about him? I, I just don't know if he's a first first second ballot. I don't know oh, if he jumps off there. He's a ten time Gold Glover, five time All Star. That sounds good to me. Yeah, I think that's pretty good actually. Yeah. Now that I look at <laughs> You're it, like now that you look at it, yeah. But uh, you got you've made this distinction before: first ballot, second ballot. Like I mean, like Mariano Rivera, right? Make him earn Jeter, the right. Yeah, Jeter, unanimous. Griffey. Yeah, but I don't. No. I don't. 
I mean, what's like either they are or they aren't, and I don't like the yeah. like the sports writers and the Hall of Fame voters like kind of creeping this thing forward where it's like, all right, well, we'll let them in on this third year. And I think I think what we already touched on with Bonds and Clemens, I might you might see a big bump this year. Yeah, to those guys that I have think been so holding too. them hostage, thinking this. No, way I think that's do. I think there is some of that being in play. Yeah, so it'll be really interesting to see how that goes. All right, first year guys, I'm going to go from the bottom up. So Ryan Howard. No, no, AJ, <laughs> your boy AJ Pierzynski's definitely of- in. No, he's definitely in. Grade so, A. No, I'm on. kidding. No, Jonathan Papelbon, Tim Lincecum. There are a couple of giants on Ooh. here. Tim Lincecum and Joe oh. Nathan. Oh, definitely Lincecum. Then <laughs> listen to you. How yeah, many Cy he's Youngs? Gonna, he's going to be in the Cannabis Young- Hall of Fame. How many more Cy Youngs did Lincecum win than Kurt Schilling? Oh, at least two, right? Yeah, I think he won Yeah, two. two Cy Youngs. But I'm saying that's two more than Kurt Schilling. That is, there you go. Jake Peavy's on this list. He he won a Cy Young. I was there in 2007 when he did. He was great. Uh, Justin yeah. Morneau is going to be an interesting one. I think I winning two is different yeah. than winning one, right? Peavy kind of had that that. He, well, one he just, year. you can have yeah. that breakout. Well, right. I mean, that's the probably with Robbie Ray signing that big deal with Seattle. Everybody's going to say, can he replicate yeah. or repeat and do what he yeah. did again? I mean, you don't think Peavy's a Hall of Famer, do you? No. I mean, as much as no. I played against him. Yeah, Carl Crawford, no. Jimmy Rollins, you can make an argument for Jimmy Rollins, you know, being one of those multifaceted on both sides, but he didn't blow your doors off. If you have to make an argument. Oh, you can't even make an argument. No, I'm saying if you have to make the argument. How about Mark Teixeira? Mm. 409 home runs. I did not know that. I didn't either. How many years? 13? He got 14 years in. Lifetime batting average, 275? 268. Mm. All right. We got a couple minutes left. All right. I'm uh, saying no. Okay. No one to share. The next two, David Ortiz, Alex Rodriguez. Woo. Man. Save, save the best for last. I thought, I thought our debate on Clemens and Bonds was the way Man. to go, right? David Ortiz. Now, listen to this. I like David Ortiz. I know that David Ortiz was in the Mitchell Report. I do, too. And I, I also know that know David that Ortiz was pretty name. damn clutch. He used a fake name. Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to hold that against him because during that era in Latin America, I mean, the only way you get into the big leagues is, you know, trying to forge a you know, birth certificate so you can get a signing bonus and go play. So I don't hold that against him. I do. No, I'm kidding. I don't. <laughs> I didn't grow You're up such an that. ageist. Yeah. Isn't it funny that when you say those two names and my, that my bias automatically goes in? Like, I want That's Ortiz in and A-Rod out. And I think, you Like, know. David Ortiz, I could make first ballot. I'm like, yeah, maybe I can hold off. Just maybe because it, because he did a little bit. Like, you could... But Again, he never got... Here's the first ballot, second ballot thing. Like, wait a second. You're going to wait five years and then he's Just to make him famer? sweat a little bit. How many podcasts do we have to discuss this Dude, on? Dude, I, I think that's why it took so long for Bagwell to get in. Because there was speculation about him. And I think they, you know, they put it on him before they finally put him in. Yeah. Mike Piazza, the same way. You know, there was always that Mitchell but report. In. But they were Hall of Famers. But David Ortiz, I think David Ortiz, let's go ahead. So 541 home runs. Seventeen hundred man, I gotta get further away from my computer. <laughs> you need longer arms. I know. Seventeen hundred and sixty-eight. We have fans outside the window, man. I don't want to show them with my four eyes on. Seventeen hundred and sixty-eight RBIs, and that doesn't even take into account what he did in the postseason. He's so, the reason that the, the Bambino curse was broken. This is why these debates are great. And yes. this is why we have a podcast. And this is why it's so challenging because I would use the same argument for RTs that I used against Eli Manning, which is <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I don't really care that Eli Manning won two Super Bowls. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. David Ortiz 
could almost be in the Hall of Fame just, just on what his he did in the postseason. And then you add the 500. And that's I mean, how I, I think feel. He be in. That's how I feel about Carlos Correa and his contract. Everybody's going, oh, 10 years, oh, 350 million, 400 million. I'm like, bro, have you seen what he's done in the postseason? He is literally, well, several Astros, because they've played so long in the postseason, several of these guys are on all time historic lists for yeah. what they've done. And David Ortiz is in that same boat. Yeah. I think he's one of the guys that he, uh, Carlos Correa, you know, had a couple of walk off hits in the postseason over the years. And David Ortiz is one of those names that pops up. Here's the argument, and this is the this I think is the icing on top, which is, and we both know, and he handled himself so unbelievably well through did. everything, and too. still and he still does. But A Rod versus Ortiz, and I know you and I both can't stand A Rod. That's a known fact. That's a but confirmed what I will fact. Say, what I will say is Ortiz made his team better, and he was a great teammate. A this is an excellent point. And this is where a Hall of Fame God, I love this it is when you show up. Variable. Thank you. Finally, <laughs> it took me all day to show up. Can I get another cup of coffee? Um, is that A-Rod was a shitty teammate. He was a terrible teammate. He had like three big contracts, and he was a terrible teammate. And so that He's doesn't get you in the Hall of Fame. He's always been in it for himself. And that's exactly. a, that's a, I mean, that personal aside, that's a really good point. And I don't know if that goes into Hall of Fame voting because when you start going across the numbers and how many of these numbers are legit, good God, he's got ridiculous numbers. 696 home runs, 2,086 RBI. Well, his career Hall 295. And David Ortiz, to his credit, I didn't realize this either, 286 career hitter. Yeah, I knew he was good. Yeah, that's pretty good. But I think that A-Rod was the... I mean, I always bring up Jason Conti on this podcast. Like, he's going to love the fact that I bring him up. But A-Rod was the obviously the quintessential, like, in it for himself. And I think, you know, his advantage was he was a fantastic baseball player, but he started when he was 18 in the big leagues or 19. Yeah. And, you know, you when, know that uh, puts those numbers in there, too. When Corey Seager signed that 10-year, $325 million deal, you know what? I, who I first thought of? A-Rod. Yeah. Remember Rangers. when the, the Rangers went out there and signed that ridiculous deal with A-Rod, and he didn't make them better? They just, they were like, they were tired of it and they fired him up into New York with somebody to take the contract. Yep. So I hope that doesn't happen again with Corey Seager. I don't think Corey Seager's the same kind of guy, maybe a different ball player and do some different things. But uh, yeah, I'm not, man, I'm not in the A-Rod camp. You would have to tell me a lot of things to get me to get that guy in there. All right, that was some good banter about the Hall of Fame ballot. We will be back right after this message. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts that help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And we are back. 
that was a good time in Las Vegas. We will talk about that a little bit later, but I just kind of want to continue on the idea of the Hall of Fame ballot. I know that we talk continually about left coast, third coast, and I think that my idea in this ballot is to have a guy like Billy Wagner get into the Hall of Fame. I think that he has got the credentials. Right now, as it sits, this will be his seventh season on this Hall of Fame ballot, and he is currently sitting just under 50%, around 46.5%, and I think that number should grow a little bit the more that we start to appreciate and kind of evolve this Hall of Fame ballot into an idea that you know, the numbers have to change a little bit. And I think that closers are starting to get a little more recognition. And I think that's where Billy Wagner kind of jumps in. I know that John Franco, a left-handed closer for the New York Mets and some other teams around uh, around Major League Baseball, he has a couple more saves than Billy Wagner, but he didn't do it in the fashion that Billy Wagner did it because Billy Wagner was by far the most dominant reliever out there. And I'm going to give you a couple of numbers to explain why. He is number one in opponent batting average. I'm going to give you a real quick reference point right here because Mariano Rivera, arguably the best closer of all time, his opponent batting average was at 207. Billy Wagner sits at 187. His whip is at under nine or, or under one. Eckersley and Rivera are, are also under one as far as their whip is concerned. He is second in ERA, first in strikeouts per nine innings. And that's probably one of the more interesting things with Billy for me, and I'll let you talk about this in a little bit, Tuttle, is the fact that he was the first guy that I really saw throwing 100 miles an hour consistently. So his strikeout numbers are 1192 Per nine innings, he is the only reliever to be over 10. The next closest guy at 9.36, this might be a little bit of a trip too because he's a left coast guy, is Trevor Hoffman. I didn't realize his strikeout numbers were so high, but those are some of the credentials, I think, for Billy Wagner that might actually propel him and put him in that category of being one of the most dominant closers of of that generation and should put him in the Hall of Fame. I don't know what your thoughts are or if any of those numbers jumped at you. Uh, they all jumped out. This is a riveting podcast, but I agree with you. You just sold me. So no, I'm kidding. I will tell you, I mean, it's amazing. That's amazing. Those numbers are amazing when you think about that in perspective. And I think we consistently talk about the eyeball test versus analytics. I mean, that comes up in every single podcast, but to have a better uh, batting average against than Mariano Rivera, who, like you said, is by far and pretty much consensus like Michael Jordan, you know, the greatest closer of all time. Um, you know, I mean, that's amazing. Uh, the, what was the other thing? I mean, I think the stat whip, obviously we're not an analytics team, but that whip stat is something that, um, that kind of probably came about because of Billy Wagner. I mean, not to allow base runners and have such a low batting average against is like, I mean, that's ideal in a closer, right? I mean, you've seen Mm -hmm. guys that get guys on base and they end up closing it all out. But I mean, to have, a batting average under two, a strikeouts per nine innings above 11, which nobody else has above a 10, um, is, I mean, to me, those are Hall of Fame worthy, especially because he did do it for a consistent period of time. This wasn't like he did it for two seasons. And I think when we talked about Andrew Jones, that was one of the things that you were saying. It was, you know, he was not a flash in the pan, but, you know, he didn't do it consistently for long enough. Whereas I think Belly Wagner certainly did. And, I mean, I was just listening to an NFL uh, commentary this morning talking about um, passing numbers, like the, you know, the passing numbers in the NFL. And I think they were saying the guy who's, you know, got the most passing yards in his first 10 years in the NFL is somebody like Matt Stafford or somebody like that. Somebody who you're not sure, right, where it's not like Joe Namath or Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. I mean, the game has changed. 
And mm-hmm. to your point, and I think this is your original point to bring it back, the voting and the numbers and the way we look at this stuff certainly should change. And I mean, I yeah. didn't know that about Billy Wagner. I've kind of forgotten about him. And obviously I don't live in Houston, but mm-hmm. I mean, he's got my vote based on that. Well, and how about this? This is what's interesting because this ballot that we are bringing up and we talked about you know, at length and we went through some of the names and some of the controversy around them because there are guys that are on this ballot still who played through that uh, steroid era and may have been rumored to have had steroids in their system as they're playing this game. So on the pitching side, and now take Roger Clemens out of the situation because we know the misremembering and the things like that and the right. controversy around him. But take that out of the situation because Billy Wagner is one of those freakishly talented athletes who actually was a right-handed pitcher before he broke his arm and then learned how to throw left-handed and becomes this 100-mile-an-hour phenom. Think about the era that he did this in. Billy Wagner was closing out games. Mariano Rivera, Trevor Hoffman, all these guys. Do you add a little emphasis to what pitchers did during that steroid era because they were as good. The Greg Maddoxes, you know, Tom Glavins and those guys that went out there and dealt and pitched as well as they did during an era where we know for a fact that plenty of guys were doing steroids. Does that kind of up their value a little bit as far as you're concerned, or do you even take that into account? Um, That's a great question. I I think I've gotten, as I've gotten older and removed from all these situations, and I think you and I have probably talked about this too, I think you just play in the era that you play in, right? You're trying to achieve success. So, you know, if they're doing A, then you do B. And if they're doing C, you do D. I mean, it's kind of one of those things. I have said this consistently, probably not on the podcast. The biggest frustration for me as a pitcher during the steroid era, and there were plenty of guys doing it, and now we look back and I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy, that guy, wasn't that you can recover faster, you can hit the ball farther, you can throw the ball harder, was when I was pitching – guys were wearing those elbow pads. It's when they started wearing those elbow pads and guys would stand right on the plate and you would throw a ball 94 miles an hour, about chest high to back them off the plate. And they would dig right back into the same spot. I mean, they had no fear. And I think that was the thing that, you know, maybe Billy Wagner certainly throwing hundred miles an hour and, you know, his batting average against, he used that uh, to his advantage, just like Maddox did, obviously not throwing a hundred, but Maddox would throw the ball slower, or, you know, use his skill set. So I get frustrated with myself that I wasn't able to figure out how to take advantage of, you know, these raging bulls up there that, but they did take away half the plate. And I think that's something that's not discussed very often in that, yes, recovery, yes, throwing the ball harder, all of those things. And I know you probably have the counter to, you know, pitchers were obviously throwing the ball much harder than they had previously too. You know, I think it'd be weird to see a guy one year. You know, let's say it's 1988 or 89 or 90, and he's throwing, you know, 94, and then you see him the next year and he's throwing 99. You're like, whoa, the scouting reports changed a bit. So this isn't one sided pitcher versus hitter, but I'm telling you, having half the plate to throw uh, to with a good hitter uh, is certainly a disadvantage. And I think I, having played through that, do give credence to, you know, making the adjustments and being the best of your time. And I think I give you kudos as well. We talked about that, making the decision to take or not take, but you figure out how to survive and figure out how to be successful in an environment like that. And you just have to give those guys credit. And those numbers are you know, amazing. 
Yeah, they are amazing. And I think Billy, you know, to his credit, too, is one of the better dudes around baseball. His son is actually playing within the Astros organization, which I find, you know, just kind of unique and fascinating at the same time because we keep seeing our contemporaries with their kids getting into the big leagues and it makes it highly entertaining. So there's somebody else with that Wagner last name in the Astros organization that we can cheer for. And he was one of the better for me, he was one of the better teammates in the clubhouse, too, because he was one of those unfiltered, uh, unabashed-type guys where he would ha have a comment, and he would talk about your at-bat if he saw something, and then you could say the same thing to him. But at the at the same time, he was such a team-oriented guy that he almost got too vocal at times and would complain about management through the media, which may be not the best tactic in the world. Uh, but uh, he, he was a guy that definitely fought for you if you're wearing the same colors. He was a great dude in the clubhouse, just a good old country boy and really still has a fervent uh, love for the game. And I think one of the more fascinating, th fascinating things about Billy Wagner's career is, is that, yes, he did play 16 years in the big leagues. But how about this? When he's pitching for the Atlanta Braves in 2010, his final season, guess what he was? He finished as an all-star. So I, I don't know if there was anything left in the tank. I didn't have a, I haven't had a chance to talk to Billy about finishing off his career, but he was an all-star in that 2010 season as a 38-year-old uh, closer. He ended up with 37 saves in that 2010 season. So I don't know how it finished for Billy, but I know that that career total is absolutely incredible. It is, and I have two things for you. One is, I wonder what you think. We caught, we continue to talk about the baseball writers of America and the the influence that they have. You would mm. think somebody like Billy Wagner, who voiced his opinion in a positive way, like gave them insight or gave them leverage, they'd be like, "Hey, we got to vote this guy in." I mean, he was like you said, he was unfiltered and unabashed, and I think that's a that's. I mean, we always talk about those guys holding guys hostage. And that was going to be my next thing about Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens. Like, well, these guys did steroids. <laughs> they cheated and yeah. they weren't nice to me, right? Jeff Kent, they weren't nice to me. So guess what? I'm withholding my vote at least until, you know, the 11th hour. And then we'll, great you know, point, then we'll it see. Happens. Yeah. So Billy Wagner with these numbers and the way he was and unfiltered, like you said, maybe not always the most loved guy with his teammates or management because he was so <laughs> frank and honest. But, you know, his numbers, I think, speak for themselves. And I was that kind of a teammate as well. Like, you know, if you're all rowing the boat in the same direction, you don't always want to hear mm -hmm. it. And we don't have parents or, you know, people watching over you in that clubhouse. I'm sure he earned the respect by the way he played and went about his business, even if you didn't want to hear, uh, you know, a pitcher throwing 100 miles an hour give you tips on your left-handed swing. Um, but uh, but uh, I would, th I mean, don't you think there's something to that? Like, you would think the writers would be more pro-Billy Wagner than they would somebody who gave them, you know, stock answers or didn't, you know didn't give them any insight into what was going on. No, I, th I think that's a great point because we talked about it during that Hall of Fame talk when we were in Vegas about, you know, Ace of Spader, at Ace of Spader on Twitter, Ryan Spader, you know, a good friend of ours who's heavy into baseball has actually sent out 200 Hall of Fame ballots to players. And that was what was kind of interesting. And I'm going to, we are going to interview Ryan Spader a little bit later, maybe after the first of the year and talk about, you know, the purpose of having that, that current or former player have a vote. Because what Tuttle's talking about is some of these baseball writers, as good as they are at writing articles and covering the game and bringing light to certain situations, I do think that some of the, and it, and it could happen with the players too, where, you know, the personal experience infiltrates the, the filter at which you look through some of those numbers. And I really think it had an effect on some of these guys, especially Barry Bonds, like we're talking about, where he kind of, you know, 
there was a really a hate relationship between the writers and Barry Bonds. Barry knew it, and he he would give him hell. Jeff Kent was the same way, uh, working with some of these guys. But I do think that some of that personal experience kind of gets in the way of them actually voting and you know giving these guys credit for what they did on the field because the Hall of Fame, it, you know, in the requirements to get in the Hall of Fame, I'd have to double check, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't say what was this guy's personality like. Was he good in an interview? Did he treat me accordingly? No. Ty Cobb's in the world in the Hall of Fame for crying out loud. We know exactly how he treated people. It was terrible, but the dude on the field was an absolute beast. So is that what you're voting on? And you know, should that requirement be enforced? And you know what? At the end, humans are voting on humans, and that personality yep. is going to get in the way. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you bring up people like Ty Cobb, but I actually, I mean, and you have plenty of stories like this. And now that he's not with us, I could probably mention. I got some stories from a, a Dodger friend of mine about Tommy Lasorda, but I will, <laughs> I will just say that some people are better at playing the game, right? What your political this, face this is, is versus point. how yep. the locker room is, uh, you know, responding to you and how you are is kind of, you know, it's not always what you see isn't always what you get, but that doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't change anything. It's, it's either you are kind of hall of fame or you're not. And we've talked about the eyeball test versus analytics. I mean, if you don't play the game, it sounds like you might be punished. I got one last thing for the hall of fame. And, you know, we got to talk about Billy Wagner Astro since we got back from Las Vegas, Alex Wood came out um, after signing his deal with the giants saying that Barry Bond should be in the hall of fame. And he, he put forth a pretty darn good argument, I, I thought. And I said this too. I mean, I've said this prior and I said this when we discussed it. I mean, I think Barry Bond should be in the Hall of Fame as well, but it's nice to hear like a modern day pitcher. And I think to sum up what Alex Wood said, um, he basically said, look, the rules of the game were different then. There were plenty of guys doing it, right? I mean, it's a little bit of the everyone was doing it argument, but you and I have both you know, shrugged our shoulders and agreed along the way that... I mean, Barry Bonds is a Hall of Fame baseball player. I mean, that's the bottom line. So personality aside, maybe some of the yeah. um, competitive juices aside, literal juices and figurative juices, um, <laughs> I think he should be in. And it's interesting to hear modern day players talk about it, you know. Um, and I guess, you know, we've said this about Pete Rose too. I mean, I, I personally think Pete Rose should just be in the Hall of Fame and, you know, mm -hmm. then he'll 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 st <laughs> he'll have to stop signing a, memorabilia out in the hallway there in Las Vegas. I know we didn't see him, but you know, that's all I got for the Giants. I think it's interesting from the modern day player. What do you think about that with the modern day players? I mean, do you think they may confuse eras or do you just think he's tired of being asked the question or, I mean, I don't know. Well, he's in San Francisco, so I'm sure he's had an ability to get near Barry Bonds and maybe developed an appreciation for him. But I think at the same time, when you start to talk to guys in this current game that is being played, and they have the opportunity to look back and, and see what these guys are doing, I think it's where you, you play the game, realize how hard it is, and then look back and see some of the numbers that these guys put up, no matter what they were doing, and go, damn, this guy was pretty freaking good. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, Barry, yeah. Barry's an interesting story just because he was doing it before he rumored to have been doing anything, you know, as far as cream and clear. So I think that, you know, he kind of had a foundation of already being a great player and then got exponentially better later in his career, which is, is rare. But I think at the same time, there is a certain appreciation around the league about how good Barry Bonds actually was. And 
if you if you took a poll within players, it'll be interesting to see how some of these player ballots play out. But I, I would imagine that a lot of these guys during his era might hold a little bit of bitterness because of the possibility. But you know, past or the current generations may look, overlook that and just say, "Dude, this guy was a badass," and I grew up watching him. I emulated him. I wanted to have a swing, and I wanted to see what I could do because I wanted to be like Barry Bonds on the field, not off. Of course. The bitterness, I'm just curious about. Like, I, I should, I told you this last time, you know, people in my family think I should have bitterness towards the guys that juice during that era. But what, do you, are you talking about the bitterness because of the type of teammate he was? Or, I mean, no, what the are players people knowing bitter? that he juiced. No, the players yeah. that know he juiced yeah. and, were, and were watching him do what he was doing. I, I think there yeah. is a certain level of bitterness of, of players that played against him. Yeah. No, I guess that's fair. I mean, for sure. I mean, when he hit his 79th home run in one season or whatever. <laughs> no, I know it's not that, but yeah, you know, that's all I still. That, that's all close. I got on the Hall of Fame. I do like revisiting all the stuff. I mean, uh, being in Vegas, having that uh, studio, you can see in my beautiful coat closet studio behind me uh, has certainly um, given me an appreciation for uh, just continuing to have these great discussions with you. And uh, that's all I have on the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's good stuff. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Enjoy this Hall of Fame prelim. We will talk more about the Hall of Fame because obviously the lockout is still going on. I said it out loud. I'm going to get burned for it, but whatever. And uh, we will continue to try and come up with some great stories. So stay tuned to at Bleacher Blums, both on Instagram and Twitter, at Real David Tuttle, at Blummer27. Uh, make sure you go to bleacherblums.com if you have any questions and insight that you want us to talk about during this tough time where we're going to be digging up stories. We'll take all the input we can. And of course, we finish every Bleacher Blums episode by thanking the military, veterans, and those who are currently serving both home and abroad, keeping us safe. And those first responders uh, that are running into harm's way right here stateside and taking care of us. And all of the essential workers, the frontline workers, every, every doctor, every nurse that is continuing to fight this fight with us and keep us healthy. So all the best to you listening to us. Enjoy the week. Tuttle, do it. Right on. Hey, over the age of 45, please get screened for colorectal cancer. We encourage you on this Bleacher Bums podcast to always get after it and believe it. Believe it. Our buddy Mark Ramos is here with us. How you doing, Mark? Doing good, thank you. How come you're so talkative on the mic? You just let Tuttle and I go. We talked about trying to bring you in a little bit and getting to know you a little bit better. So you're a UH Cougar. Give us a, give us an idea of who Mark Ramos is. You run Ramp shirts, by the way. That's one thing. The shirts that we get and all the swag that we get come straight from your company. That's true. I appreciate it. <laughs> Could you well, elaborate, sir? Well, what I'd really like to say is this is the end of the Bleacher Bone podcast. I'll let y'all do your little outro because we've run out of time. <laughs> <laughs> Look at them bailing on us, man.